Pum Pum. Hi, Pum. Noodle. Hello. We missed you. I know, you too. All right, oh. so. My magical producer, Emily, and I recently took to the streets of Manhattan to crowdsource how people feel about influencers. And yes, sometimes I call her Noodle. What do you think of when you hear the word influencer? I've got to say, the reactions we got were way different than I expected. Most people we talked to under 30 did not flinch. They flat out said influencing is a job, it is a career, it is a very real and very lucrative profession. I feel like it's just somebody who makes you want to buy things, right? Like, influences you to get things. Someone who is, you know, a promoter on social media, uh, somebody who has a, a following, and somebody who, you know, utilizes that following, hopefully, um, for good. It's an amazing thing to be an influencer. Yeah. It depends on what you offer to the world. Mm-hmm. Or they might actually be an influencer. An Instagram with sixty-five thousand followers. Oh, I do a lot of networking. Yes, See, I, I do a lot. This is the aesthetic. Yeah. Yes. Ask anyone over forty, and they're kind of confused. I think it's somebody far younger than me working the Instagram. The response to this podcast has been so intense that I am just completely boggled that I remain pretty alone in covering this world. There are some reporters who cover influencing, but. It's a small group, man. It is small. The mainstream media definitely still lags in its reporting on the subject, which is crazy considering this is a multi-billion dollar industry. Stephanie McNeil, the BuzzFeed reporter that we talked to in the last episode about blogs, is one of the few journalists whose beat is actually dedicated to influencers. And she told us that she often feels that mainstream media still doesn't quite understand the value of this subject. Even in the very, very small world of media that covers this industry, most of the energy is focused on YouTube and now TikTok. But I'm always surprised how few people there are even paying attention to anything that happens on other platforms as well. But media isn't the only place where influencing remains an afterthought. The topic of influencer marketing is just a one-paragraph mention in our chapter on social media. That is Professor Peggy McDermott. She teaches internet marketing at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. I met Professor McDermott because she emailed me and asked me to come to talk to her class to be a part of the syllabus because I created this podcast about influencers. My, my students were very excited when I, I, know I, I signed them several of your episodes as homework and they've already submitted questions. Yes, under the influence. We're going to academia. <laughs> Peggy told me that she thinks leaving influencer marketing out of her curriculum would be a real disservice to her students. Because this industry that they're about to enter into is completely driven by online content and all of its crazy implications that we've been talking about for the past two seasons. What I feel is missing in all of this is a discussion on the ethical responsibilities of brand management. So as my students go out into the world, you know, to work either in internet marketing or in social media marketing, I want them to be aware of the harm that many of these social media platforms are causing, both to those who consume the content and to those who create it. But I want my students to consider these societal harms when they're making decisions on which social media platforms to advertise on and and perhaps to use their influence and advertising buying power to be a force of change on these platforms. The world of influencers is super nuanced. And as we've seen, things can go wrong pretty quickly. When the people, the actual humans who are involved in all of this, are taken advantage of, that has huge implications. 
not just for those individuals, but for all of us as a culture and as a society. These days, influencing impacts nearly everything, from how our teachers teach our kids to how we give birth. Big things, huge. We also all have a stake in making sure that all creators are paid equitably. Why should you care? Well, you are the one consuming their content pretty much for free. And all of us should have a stake in ending the unpaid labor of anyone. All of these reasons, and so much more, are why mainstream media and academia need to catch the fuck up to us. Because this landscape is developing faster than anything I've ever seen before. This season alone has changed so much while we've been making it because new kinds of influencers pop up all the time. Rule 35, which I just made up, proved to be right time and time again. There is an influencer for everything. And there's topics that we've been dying to cover, but we just didn't have time to do it this season. That's why my corporate overlords have to give me another season. I'm desperate to report on sleep training influencers, adoption influencers, pelvic floor influencers. Yes, yes, yes. The only reason I don't pee when I laugh is because of advice that I got from an influencer named the Vagina Whisperer. You should be able to laugh with your girlfriends and jump in the bounce house without worrying about leaking your pants. There's help and there's hope. You got this, mom. And we haven't even touched on dad influencers or the niche dad influencing market, dad divorce influencers who are giving advice to other divorced dads about dating again. So it's important that you develop the skill set for vetting potential prospects and assessing whether or not they align with your value system or what you're even looking for. The earlier you can determine someone is not a fit, either because Philly, the greatest city in America, also happens to be home to a very famous trash man influencer. What's up, Philadelphia? Um, I have a cleanup tomorrow at 29... Who has used his platform to fix the broken Philadelphia sanitation department through influencing. If anybody wants to meet me here, I'm going to do another pop-up cleanup. And we're literally just going to walk down this block. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys. You, you know this. The future of influencing is only going to be bigger and bigger. And thankfully, I truly believe that women are at the forefront of trying to make it better. I want the word influencer to not be a dirty word. Think about this as democratizing influence. Like, influence is a good thing. How do we build a pathway out of this lock-in on single platforms for creators and influencers that really own and control their lives? Woohoo, ladies! This is the final episode of the season. And the only thing we can do with the last episode of a season, besides go to Esalen, like Don Draper did on Mad Men, is look forward to the people who are trying to change this fucked up industry. Today, we are going to be talking to three women founders who are trying to fix the myriad flaws in the influencer economy and try to make it more equitable and enjoyable for everyone. And at the end of this episode, we will finally reveal the date of our Women's Day off the internet. I'm Joe Piazza, and we are taking back the influence, motherfucker. Episode 9, A More Perfect Internet.
From the moment this show began, we've talked about how much money the influencing industry brings in. Can I get a ka-ching? Billions. Billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. We've also talked about the many ways that influencers can make bank on social media, but that more often than not, a lot of creators, mostly women, are getting taken advantage of. Why? Because many brands still think they don't have to invest in their most valuable mouthpieces, the influencers who sell things to you. And that's not fair. People deserve to be paid for their work. Finally, there's someone that's trying to make that a little bit better. There's a woman, of course it's a woman, who's created a magical place where influencers can try to help each other out, can try to figure out exactly what they deserve to be paid. It's basically the glass door of influencing, and frankly, it's got the greatest name of all time. All right, I have nothing to lose. Like, I'm going to build this website. I've always wanted to exist. And I'm going to call it Fuck You Pay Me. That's the name of the company. Fuck You Pay Me. Because everybody who is allowed in will know exactly, like, what they can find here. (laughs) That's Lindsay Lugren. She's the founder of Fuck You Pay Me. Yeah. She is the one who's taken it upon herself to make sure influencers have a space to share the numbers, the data, and their experiences with different brands, all in an effort to spread equity among influencers. It is the Wild West out here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's no rules. Everybody wants to know how much people are getting paid or how much they should be getting paid. A big part of the responsibility, I feel, is trying to decide how to aggregate the data. Lindsay's a former finance analyst, former social media marketing executive, former marketing executive, and former freelance model. I won an Instagram contest in 2015 for Mark by Mark Jacobs, where I was one of 11 people chosen out of like 750,000 people who entered to be the face of Mark Jacobs. My prize was an international ad campaign. I was on billboards all, all over the world. I was in shopping malls, on magazines. And for all that, I got paid $1,000, which is crazy. Yeah, which is crazy. And um, the crazier part is to this day, that is my highest paid gig of all time. Like on on paper, I looked really successful. I did like New York Fashion Week. Mm -hmm. I was sold as wall art and Urban Outfitters. Wait, wait, what does it mean? What does it mean to be sold as wall art? In their print shop, uh, they sold a picture of me for, I think, a year or two. And I didn't make any wow. money off of it. So she went to grad school, worked in finance, dabbled in influencing with an Instagram called Ms. Young Professional. As she grew her account, brands started to reach out to work with her. But just like freelance modeling, the compensation part of that gig was impossible to navigate. You don't know how much to charge. You don't know what to ask for. This is why... I always wish that I had a website where I could just look up different brands and get a baseline. She kept thinking, what if there was a website that told influencers how much other influencers were being paid by a brand? Or other important things, like how they're treated by a brand. And so Fuck You Pay Me was born. I sent it around to my own community of workwear bloggers and meme pages who do similar things and... I asked them, like, mm-hmm. would you contribute? And almost all of them were like, yes. Oh, my God. I've been waiting for something like this. Thank you. And <laughs> we still get messages, like, every single day from ordinary people who are like, 
thank you for building this website. I've been able to survive the pandemic because of your website. Stuff like that. Like I was going to charge zero, but then I signed up and I saw I could charge a thousand and I asked for it and I can pay my rent this month. You know, that's, that's absolutely what keeps me going every day. You sent me a compensation distribution for influencers who put themselves in the parenting Mm -hmm. family niche. And only 53% of those influencers had a positive experience Mm -hmm. during their brand collaboration. That's crazy. That's barely half have had a positive experience and only 69% received cash compensation. Mm -hmm. And 96% of these people were Mm -hmm. women. Those numbers alone show why we need data, like what you guys are creating and why we need advocates and just transparency in this space. There's great brands and there's bad brands. There's great influencers and there's not so great influencers. Fine. But we all deserve to just have more information and for people to take this seriously. Mm -hmm. So what is your overarching goal in the next couple of years? What do you want to accomplish with Fuck You Pay Me? I want the word influencer to not be a dirty word. I hope it becomes a respected profession. I hope it becomes normal for women to demand to be paid for doing influencer work, creative work, any work. I hope that by seeing what everyone else is making, it will hire the bar. And my goal is to help women control a greater portion of the global economy. I think like it all comes back down to capital, you know, like who has the money? Mm -hmm. I think that that so aligns with the values of Under the Influence because we don't want any woman's work to be considered a dirty word. Men are so rarely called influencers. When men are influencers, they're they're almost always (laughs) Yeah. They're always creators or they're entrepreneurs. And that is fucking bullshit. Influencer only has a negative connotation because it is mostly used to refer to women. Yep. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. This is the future of work. There are so many like structural barriers to women making money, like in society and from a fundamental level. And at this like early age of the internet, you know, especially like when people are talking about Web3 and all that stuff, I get really nervous. I'm like, oh God, women need to play a part in building this from the ground up. We do. And luckily there's women like Lindsay who are taking the reins of this brave new world on the internet. Lindsay mentioned Web 3.0 and we're gonna get to that in this episode. Don't be scared, don't be. But there's a few other ways I want to see the internet change before we take that leap. Because we can advocate for ourselves all we want. But eventually, platforms need to change. And brands just need to understand how they can make our experience better. As consumers, I don't want to be constantly faked out and sold to. So after the break, we're going to talk to someone who's trying to fix that problem on the social platforms. The problem of how we interact on these platforms in the first place. And it's going to happen by putting the social back in social media.
It's not just creators that are frustrated with how Instagram is working these days. It's us, it's the normal people, it's the audience. Viewers, consumers, whatever you wanna call us these days. Sometimes I wake up and everything on Instagram feels like a goddamn ad, everything. It makes me feel like I woke up inside an infomercial. Our next guest feels kind of responsible for a lot of the reasons that people hate Instagram these days. Listen, we created the problem. I have a very complex relationship with this mm-hmm. product of influencer marketing. I feel responsible for what it has become in the world. That's Jenna Serini. She worked for one of the very first influencer marketing agencies. It was a company called Who Say. At first, they just worked with celebrities who were trying to figure out how to be on the Instagram in the first place. Back in the early days. So think about, you know, Tom Hanks gets on Twitter and starts posting pictures of himself at home. His agents and managers, publicists, they were just like, you know, the animals are getting out of their cages. We're supposed Mm -hmm. to have control over their message and their voice. So Husay was created as a way to help celebrities to navigate this new space. But then brands started to get in on the game and they could connect brands and influencers so they could form relationships and start making all of the money. Now, this was the very first influencer marketing agency. It wasn't called that for a very long time because that term didn't exist. But essentially what we were doing for the past 12, 15 years was productizing what influencer marketing looks like today. So this has directly driven money into the pockets of creators. This has driven money into the pockets of platforms. And for brands, it helps them to really understand the audiences that are interacting with and converting on their brand so that then they could capture these audiences, retarget them, and drive more sales. The productization and monetization of influencer accounts made the social media app a much less pleasant place for the audience who was consuming this content. It's gotten out of hand. Social media was invented to be social, a way for people to connect with each other. Now it's just kind of gotten to a point where there are hundreds of influencer marketing agencies spending billions of dollars on, you know, casting talent. And, you know, I learned for a long time, I hired every talent you could name and it's all pay to play. You know, some of them will say, I only take on authentic partnerships that are really fitting to my brand and kudos to them. But most of the talent that are out there, ultimately, this is their job. They need to make money. So it's just not authentic all of the time. Authenticity. That word, that word. Remember when we did a whole episode on that one word in season one? Well, the crux of that episode, if you didn't listen to season one, is that it is so completely impossible to understand what is actually genuine on Instagram these days. If anything is genuine, if anything is fucking real at all, the more the brands take over our feeds, the harder it's going to be to cut through all the noise. That is the part that Jen is trying to fix. And she's doing it with her own new platform. It's called Hands Down. So I have founded a social commerce platform that is a way for you to connect with and feel closer to your friends by sharing your favorite things with each other. And um, it's all limited. So we're not trying to trap anyone in an endless scroll. Um, Mm -hmm. There are no sponsored posts allowed. So we welcome influencers and creators, but they can only put what they actually love on there. They cannot get paid to post anything. Mm -hmm. And it's a place where you share your 10 favorite things and then you get nine additional lists of up to 10. So you could share your favorite 
you know, playgrounds in Brooklyn. You could share your favorite skincare essentials, your favorite fitness routines, your favorite cozy hoodies. You know, you can decide what your nine categories are, but it really is meant to paint a portrait of you and who you are in a given moment so that the people around you can not only get great recommendations, but also can feel closer to you in a way that doesn't mean you have to post a photoshopped photo of yourself on Instagram. And so talk to me about the logistics of this. When is this launching? How do we sign up? And also, how do you make money if people aren't getting sponsored posts and you're not getting a cut of sponsored posts? Gosh, Joe, you sound like my investors. <laughs> I know, I know. And my next iteration is going to be venture capital, I think. Oh, that's great. I think you'll be wonderful. Yeah, I do too. Thanks. So Hands Down is currently in its minimum viable product. So you can use mm, it today mm-hmm. at itshandsdown.com. And currently you can share a list of your 10 favorite things and invite your friends to share theirs too. In the end of April, we're going to be launching our official beta product, itshandsdown.com. I've spent so many years in the world of influencer marketing and in performance content and in media And I just want to completely blow up everything that I've worked on and created and just totally kind of start from scratch based on what brands really need and what brands really deserve and what consumers need and deserve. So what do we deserve? Do we deserve a place where all the big companies aren't buying up all the ad space? A place where you can actually see your friends and maybe even some products and places that you might actually like? Do we deserve a place that reminds us of the early days, of platforms like MySpace, Friendster, and even the early Facebook, when it was just like, hey, here's a picture of my cat, and maybe here's a smoothie that I actually like. The early days of social media were actually social. I really did feel more connected to the people in my world. And that was a good thing. What Jenna and Hands Down are trying to do is a good thing. For consumers, but it's also a good thing for smaller brands that don't have all of the venture capital money to compete with the big ass brands. So they, with these smaller budgets, can't compete with these larger brands who are shoveling all of this money, not only into influencer marketing and the platforms. And I would love to see, you know, a world where these brands could have more authentic conversations with potential consumers that are believable and trusted and based off of real recommendations and not just off of, you know, paid placements. So that's an area that I'm really passionate about. And I think that relates directly back to consumers who are looking for those types of brands and aren't really finding them as easily or seamlessly as they should be able to when, you know, in a world of this mass capability of targeting and placement and exposure Ultimately, it's all about money. It's it's not even about creativity anymore. It's about how much you spend is how much access to consumers you get. Hands Down is providing a wider platform that can give anyone a chance to highlight what's important to them. And then when they do that, they can actually be seen by the people that actually know them and like them in the real life. We also kind of think about this as democratizing influence. Like influence is a good thing. Word of mouth has served us for thousands of years as humans. It's just never been properly productized. And, you know, this whole, uh, you know, chaos of what influencer marketing is today has had to happen in order for us to get here. This is only about curating the absolute best things in your life. We have a person who has broccoli rob on their list of top 10 favorite things. 
Mm-hmm. Can't mm-hmm. agree personally, but love, appreciate it. I love it. me some broccoli, Rob. Yeah. It. And then, know. you know, we have somebody who has a, a psychic on her list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, there's tons of great skincare and all kinds of outdoor gear and, and meditations and yoga routines and all that fun stuff, too. So it's the things that truly make or break people's day, which make it mm-hmm. really extra interesting to, um, to discover. All right. Well, I'm joining hands down now. Can Woo-hoo. I get a beta link? Can I be part of it? You sure can. In fact, all of you can start using Hands Down. Don't just sit here and listen to me. Get online, check out what might be the next big thing in social media. Go to itshandsdown.com. They didn't pay me, by the way. Itshandsdown.com to check out what Jenna created and give it a shot. So Hands Down is trying to create a more authentic relationship between brands and their audiences on social media platforms. But what happens if one day these social media platforms that you worked so hard to build an audience on just quit working? They just go away. We've seen this happen before. We've seen the poof. We talked about the poof. And when the poof happens, the audience that you've worked so hard to build, they're just gone. That is where Web 3.0 comes in. Web 3.0 and the ushering in of a decentralized internet. Those things could make it possible for creators to grow an audience independently of social media platforms. And for consumers, for you guys, to interact with the creators that you like without being bombarded by ads and all of the other crap on those platforms. Now, I know that Web 3.0 sounds intimidating. I am also intimidated. But don't you worry. I'm here to walk you through it because there are women on the ground floor of this that are helping other creators figure out how it all works. And after this break, we're going to ask one of those women to explain Web 3.0 to me as if they're talking to a very, very dumb child. Here's where we're at. Hands Down is trying to create a more authentic and real experience for everyone on social. Fuck You Pay Me is trying to eliminate the unpaid labor that is rampant in the world of social media marketing. And the final company that we're talking about today is trying to find a way to make all of us less reliant on social platforms in the first place. It's part of Web 3.0. 3.0. 3.0. That is one more than 2.0. Have you guys heard that term, the Web 3.0 yet? Yes. I have, and I don't know much. I know that it is the big next thing in the tech, but I, I don't I don't totally understand what it is. Thankfully, I'm very good at asking questions. Um, for our audience that is just kind of catching up on what's happening in the tech world right now, what is Web 3.0? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a broad term that folks have described in a lot of different ways. That's Kim Nortman. Kim is the founder and CEO of a startup called Telly. Telly is using the foundations of Web 3.0 to revolutionize the influencer industry. So think about Kim as kind of our Web 3.0 guide. Web 3.0 is a decentralized internet that's powered by the blockchain and decentralized servers. And that essentially means that There's millions of people out there sort of validating and verifying activity. It's not happening 
just by the giant companies on the platforms that you're interacting on. In case you know nothing about any of this, blockchain is how information and data is tracked and stored in Web3. It's decentralized, which means there's not just one company that controls how data is recorded or used. It's just embedded in the entire system. For example, with something like Bitcoin, blockchain is how transactions are recorded in a permanent way. For influencers, blockchain would mean that records of their content would exist independently from the platforms that they made it on. Essentially, and this is just my words, blockchain could free creators from the shackles of Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So that if those companies go away, the creators still have their fan base and the fans could still interact with creators. So... What you're doing is really helping creators to own their own content in a way that they do not on platforms like Instagram, TikTok, or Facebook, right? That's right. How do we democratize access so that all creators who can find an engaged fan base can directly own that relationship with their fan base, but also have the design and storytelling tools they need to express their creative output and ultimately make a living by standing up what is essentially the new age decentralized fan club and so that's really the roots of what we built in Telly. We're powering the New Age fan club um, by building a Web3 starter kit for every creator that works really well within the existing social platforms that they live on today, but also allows them to transition over to directly owning their relationships with their fans and ultimately being able to make a living from them. The thing that I find promising about Telly is that they're not just building a whole new platform. What they're doing is helping influencers transition gradually to this next stage of content development based off how they're already comfortable working. We've really approached it from the perspective of allowing influencers to use the existing tools that they already use today. So at base with Telly, you can stand up a link and bio website portfolio in, in minutes and you can aggregate all of the platforms that you live on today. So you can embed virtually every social platform, every content platform into one landing page experience that looks incredible on desktop and mobile. And then you'll actually be able to allow your fans to purchase NFTs directly from that landing page. And then you'll be able to create gated experiences for your fans. When Kim said NFT, I was like, Oh, fuck me. Because I'm just sick of acronyms. Is anyone else sick of fucking acronyms? I mean, and I I don't really know a lot about NFTs. I know some things. I know that the acronym NFT means non-fungible token and that the definition of it, because I love a definition, is that it is a digital piece of data that can be bought or traded but what I didn't understand and what made my head go was how can an influencer use an NFT? You know, an NFT can be paid or it can be free. So it can really just be an establishment of that relationship and that support of an influencer that then allows you to kind of communicate and, and provide access, uh, among other things, to those folks who are supporting you. So it's about establishment of that relationship um, and that support between the people who follow those influencers and the influencers themselves. If those influencers are selling experiences, any kind of access 
um, really anything. Um, it can all be associated with this unbroken um, verification of identity. And you can essentially use that NFT as an access key to get any kind of access in that influencer's world. Um, and and it, it can really be on the influencer's own terms of how they're trying to build a business from their influence. Which I think is a big deal, especially with what we saw happen with Instagram going down because of a glitch. Um, I think a lot of creators are scared that one day everything that they've put out into the world, everything could go poof. Yeah, I was thinking about this today. It's like you've explored the world of influencing on these social platforms. And, and I've been spending the last couple of years really figuring out how do we build a pathway out of this lock-in on single platforms for creators and influencers that really own and control their lives and give them more freedom and flexibility, not just to be able to own their content, but also to say, like, if the next TikTok, for example, stood up tomorrow... Um, you could actually take your whole audience and take advantage of the services of a new platform that existed because it's not all controlled by one place that that could go down or that could have an algorithm change, which is just a, a terrifying thing if you're trying to make a living that way. Yeah, I think th that's a really interesting way of putting it. And that's a phrase we haven't used a lot before, owning your own audience. Because right now, you don't. You don't own anything. And... I, I think the, the possibilities of using blockchain and using Web3 to get to that point, because the creator economy, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to get bigger and bigger. And so the possibilities here, I think it'll really give people a lot more stability that they don't have on the other platforms. Yeah, I think so, too. I, you know, I think I'm we're really big believers that in the future identity and relationship will be owned by individuals. And we're just incredibly passionate about helping influencers, you know, build that unbroken chain in relationship with their fans. And then being able to use the blockchain, you know, use NFTs to unlock meaningful access in their world. But we want them to really own that relationship so that I think more than anything else, ownership of that relationship is going to give them flexibility and remove that sort of lock-in of, of single platforms owning and controlling their lives and give it just a level of freedom to really be able to bring to life the vision of being able to make a living off of a smaller number of superfans. These three women are trying to clean up social media's messes to make things better for brands, for creators, and for consumers. All three of them are trying to solve the ways that social media has been fucking with all of our lives for the past decade. But, always a but, it's definitely not enough. Here's what I want more of. I want someone shutting down all of the goddamn misinformation on social media. I want someone to verify the credentials of people who say they're doctors and therapists on social media. Anyone who is giving out any kind of information that could actually impact someone's life, you should be verified. I want more regulations for how we use children on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. I want a slowdown of the virality and nastiness that is making all of us worse people. 
As a recent Atlantic article stated, social media has both magnified and weaponized the frivolous. This is so, so true. But the fact that there are women out there trying to figure out how to make this wild, wild west of a world just a little bit better, that's comforting to me. But there is still a lot that I don't totally understand. And the first person that I needed to drag back into the future with me is the Glynis. In this scenario, I am Doc Brown. She is Marty McFly. We're hopping in my DeLorean, which is this episode, and we're going to figure out the future together. I'm, I'm humming the Back to the Future theme song right now because we can't afford to license it. Great, Scott. Welcome to the future, Glenn. <laughs> how do you feel about it? I was thinking like how after the shortly after the war, there was like the World's Fair in Queens and people went to it and everything seemed dazzling. And how women in the 50s, when they got their first, you know, washer and dryer at home, how it was life changing. It doesn't feel like there's anything now, any development, any sort of future development that is actually making our lives better. Considering how much easier life is supposed to be right now, everyone I know is exhausted. Well, with that, <laughs> that's so cheery. You're so cheery. I, I am actually uh, like, quite I, cheery. I'm fine, but I actually just think like the people in control of creating the future do not feel like they have anyone but themselves' best interest at heart. And maybe that is the really concerning mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. There's literally nothing happening on the world right now that suggests the people with the control are envisioning a future for all of us to enjoy. This is the reason that I want us to have the Women's Day off the internet. Oh, first of all, I think this is so important. Increasingly, and the fact that I'm increasingly hearing from mostly women who are so all all of them exhausted and literally just looking around and watching protections fall left and right. Like women taking a day off the internet is the lysistrata for the digital age. Like let's forget about withholding oh. sex. It's just like withhold commerce. Oh. Let's call this the lysistrata for the digital age. There you go. There you go. All season long, I've been asking our guests if they would join the Women's Day Off because we got to start somewhere. I'm also asking people on the street. I asked my butcher the other day. Yeah, my butcher's a lady. I want to know who's going to join our badass coven. There's so many people from this entire season who are already on board. I mean, we've got pretty much everyone. What a gift that I would never give myself if it weren't an official day. So thank you. I would love to participate in that. Perhaps maybe you can invite some of these big brands to participate. If they're willing to take on Russia, take on climate change, take on mental health, then why not take a pause on social media platforms as well? I am all behind that. Maybe like a month would be, a month off would be more effective, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Our power lies in like inside of us and what we know to be true, not in how someone reacts, not in how someone responds to what we say, not in what someone gives us right? But in actually just how we show up owning what feels right inside, I'm all in. (laughs) Mm, Yes, love that. Women influencing has such a huge financial impact on some of these platforms. And I think it's completely underrated. Well, you know, I'm in. We are the ones who make up, I think it's 92% of Facebook's revenue. And so if we all together collectively 
get off of Facebook for just three days, we can really hit their bottom line and show them that we are a force to be reckoned with. Welcome to our coven. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to need a drum roll to announce this date. <laughs> the Women's Day off the internet. The digital Lysistrata is September 12th on my birthday. <gasps> this is a good day. I know. This is a good day. It's also the day that Glynis married me in a vintage Halston I will dress wear my vintage Halston for our day off the internet and no one will know about it because mm-hmm. no one will be able to post a picture of it. That's perfect. No, no, exactly. You can't do anything. We're going to come up with the rules. We're not. This is the last episode of our main season, but we'll we'll be doing some minis over the summer. This season, I'm going to say, I think this season was better than last season. I just, I continue to be surprised and shocked at this world and mostly surprised that we are part of a such a small group of people actually covering it and paying attention to it. And it is, it's a world that, that needs this kind of lens put on it. So we're just going to, we're going to keep going. It's not over. And it's this world over. is just um, proliferating like gremlins. Yes. Is it gremlins after midnight? Mm-hmm. Is that when they start multiplying? Yes, you can't, you don't get them wet. Don't get don't them wet. get them wet. Somebody got the internet wet and let, the, let it stay up after midnight because it's just, just all over the place. Frozen. It's all of, there's influencers everywhere. everywhere. Someone fed them after midnight. <laughs> The internet, it just keeps growing and growing, and we will always be here to report on it for you and keep making bad 80s references that at least half of you don't understand. Season two of Under the Influence has been hosted and reported by me, Joe Piazza. Emily Marinoff is our senior producer. Glynis McNichol is our story editor and my very best friend. Abu Zafar is our producer. Lauren Phillip is our associate producer. Mixing and sound design by Jackie Huntington. Jackie Huntington and Jessica Kreinchich have written the music for this whole series, and Jessica Kreinchich wrote our theme. Production help this season from Aaron Peterson, and Anna Stumpf is our consulting producer. We are executive produced by me and Nikki Tor. Most importantly, special thanks to everyone All of you who talked to us, sent us DMs, lent their voices, and listened. We couldn't have made this without you. And we all owe you an honorary NFT of my heart. Is that how they work? Still not completely sure. 